to visit a friend. I haven't seen this guy in years. He lives in Gainesville, Florida, and of course I live across the street. And so those are not in close proximity. We don't see one another very often. And so he was going to be in Louisville. He and I had worked together at my home church several years back, became very good friends. He was the worship pastor there, and I was the high school pastor, and we didn't have much in common. He's a few years older than me, but he was sort of like a, a mentor and, and a good friend all along the way. And so we said, hey, let's figure out how we can get together. And so he was going to drive from Louisville to Bowling Green, where he was visiting friends, and I was going to drive from Murray to Bowling Green. A couple hours each way, we thought, all right, there'll be plenty of things we can do there. And so I took off and get across the first bridge and no problem, get across the second bridge and no problem. And I'm about to pull up on Cadiz and I hear the of the tire. And I thought, I'm, I'm too far away to call Mark Hale. I'm just too, I'm too far. I've, what am I going to do? Mark's my call. Anything goes wrong, I need something fixed or at least somebody that won't treat me like I'm a complete idiot for not knowing how to fix stuff. I call Mark. And so, uh, so anyway, I, I was too far away. I couldn't call Mark. I thought, what am I going to do? And then I, so I opened the trunk, knowing what was in the trunk. And, and I thought, I, I hope there's a spare in here. I never used it. I hope it has air. I have no idea. I've never gotten that far down into the trunk, I, you know. So I pulled out the three buckets of baseballs and the set of bases and the four or five bats and Hank's baseball bag, and I set it all there on the side of the highway with me. And I open it up, and there, sure enough, is the spare. And so <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm going on all the training that I've ever had in my whole life about cars. And so I'm thinking, I can do this. I can, I can do it. And so I, I, I get the, you know, the jack and, and, and all that. I, and, and I remember first, loosen them up first before you, you, know, you jack up the car. You don't want it falling on you. I'm like, okay, I don't, want, you know, I don't want to die here on the side of the highway. So, <clears throat> so anyway, so I, I get all the, you know, I got the lug nuts you know, loosened up, and I jacked the car up, and I take the, the tire off. And, of course, I had mangled it. It nearly blew out on me. And so I, you know, so I put the spare on, and I, I get it tightened up a little bit, and I start to let the jack down, and then it just gets about like this. And so I'm like, oh. Oh no, you know, not only do I have a flat tire, but I have a flat spare, and neither one of them are going to work. So, so then my first call at that point was to Jimmy Morris, who works at Parker Ford, and that's where I take my vehicle to be serviced all the time. And I said, Jimmy, I said, I got to find somewhere I can go. I said, I can't go very far here. My, my real tire is flat, my spare tire looks about half flat, and what am I going to do? So he directed me to a dealership there in Hopkinsville. And so I, I got there, finally made it to Hopkinsville, just puttering along and as I'm going my whole dashboard shuts down on me and I'm thinking what in the world just happened what's going on I have no idea here I'm driving on a flat spare I can't tell how fast I'm going I don't know how much gas I have and I got to get to Hopkinsville and so so I finally anyway I finally make it to Hoptown and I pull into the Ford dealership and so they're looking for this particular tire. And apparently it's rare. I don't know. Apparently the tire that I have is, is rare. Nobody has it anywhere in Kentucky or Tennessee. Maybe even Illinois. I don't know. Nobody had the tire anywhere. And so I'm, you know, so he said, well, we got your spare aired up. I think you can make it back to Murray. So I called my friend. I said, look, I, you know, we're not going to be able to get together. I said, I got to drive back to Murray. I can't make it all the way to Bowling Green on this spare that I don't trust. And so it came all the way back. And Jimmy had to special order the tire from Birmingham, Alabama, of all places. And so they didn't have it. But you know what I, what I learned through all of that is 
is that most of the time, you know, I'm counting on this spare tire that is a very, very pathetic substitution for the real tire that I'm driving on. They say it's rated up to 55 or 60 miles an hour. I look at the thing, I ain't going to trust it over 45. I mean, let's be honest with you. So I'm not trusting that. And I said, listen, I was heading down the highway yesterday to go to Clarksville, and somebody comes flying by me on one of those little bitty spare tires going about 85 miles an hour. I said, don't you... I just want to stop them. You don't, you, don't, you don't get it. It's a pathetic substitute. I mean, it really, it works for a little bit, you think. And then after about 50 miles, they say, you probably need to stop driving on it. And mine was so pathetic, it didn't have air in it. I hadn't checked it in forever. And I was counting on that to get me back and forth safely. Now, I, I tell you that story, one, because it's kind of funny. And, 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 and I want you to know that at least sometimes I'm halfway normal. I am a preacher and I realize that for some of you are a guest with us this morning, you think all of us are just weird, and that's fine. Uh, but we do have normal things that happen to us, like flat tires on the side of the highway when it's raining, no less. I've left that down. And, uh, and you can't find your guy who fixes stuff for you. You know, I mean, that's... And so, but, but I tell you that more so because I, 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 want, I want to help us understand this morning that I think in so many cases, <clears throat> for folks even who have, have been Christians, you say, for a long, long time, and maybe you come to church every week, and you say, I've got a, I have a real faith in Jesus Christ. But I think there are a couple of things that we'll see from John chapter 5 today, that when we try to fix what's going on in our lives, when we recognize finally that we've got a flat tire, <laughs> and we've got an issue... That we need something as a substitute. Often we look for a couple of things that are absolutely pathetic substitutes for what's really needed. And so I hope that you'll kind of be in that mindset of what is it that I'm looking for that is a pathetic substitute for what God really wants me to have in my life. That spare tire was something I got out and I thought, well, this ain't going to work too well. And I hope to show you that a couple of things that maybe we're relying on this morning, maybe you don't even know you are. Maybe we're relying on are just pathetic substitutes for what God really wants us to have. We're in a series continuing this week, and we'll keep going for, for another several weeks, called Red Letter Questions. Looking at the questions that Jesus asked of people. He was great at doing that. He was so good at asking questions. He was great at giving answers. But I think he was equally good at asking questions. He made people think. And he got to the heart of the matter on so many different issues and so we're looking at these red-letter questions, because they're, mo- they're mostly, in, and probably in your Bible, they're written in red. Questions that Jesus asked. What can we learn from them? They changed lives when He asked them back then. And I believe that because God's Word is still living and active, that they can change lives today. So I hope that you'll track with me today as we look at a question that Jesus asked a guy that He met. The question was, do you want to get well? John chapter 5, we're going to look at the first 15 verses. We'll just kind of break it down verse by verse. I won't take the time to read all of it at the beginning. But look at the very first verse. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. There's some sort of festival going on. If you know anything about Jewish faith back then, of course, they had lots of different festivals that people would travel to Jerusalem, and they'd celebrate all together. They'd gather with God's people, and they would celebrate these different festivals, participate in their religious activities, and so that's what's happening. There's some sort of festival that is going on, and Jesus went. Now, let me give you just a little side note here. That, that I hope we can, we can understand. I, I look at Jesus and I, and I see a few things. First of all, I see God in human flesh. I want you to know that Jesus is God in human flesh. He, he is not just some random guy who was sort of God-like. He was God that came here in human flesh. That matters. If Jesus was not God, nothing he did matters. His death doesn't matter. 
Because only God could be the substitute, a perfect substitute for us. Only God could actually pay the penalty that He required. So I look at Jesus and I automatically think that. I look at Jesus and I see, you know what? He was God, but He was also in human flesh. He was, he was a person. And, and He became one of us in order to live the life of obedience that we couldn't, to fulfill God's law. And I think also to show us, really, here's how to live. Here's how a, a godly, completely godly person would live. But I, I also look at Jesus and I don't, think, I don't see a weird human. Now, we don't have any weird humans here today. Maybe a few. Mark's laughing. We got a few. We, we, but Jesus was not, a, he was not kind of a goofball, weird, you know, nobody could get along with him. He wasn't aloof. He wasn't some guy who just sat up on the mountain, you know, sort of in, in some kind of pose and humming a little bit, and he waited for people to come to him and ask him questions, and he would give some random answer that was supposed to be deep that nobody understood but him. That wasn't him. He was a pretty normal guy. There's a festival going on in Jerusalem, and guess what it says? And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He just goes, there he goes, I'm going to go participate. Don't miss that Jesus wasn't a guy who never had any fun. He wasn't a guy who never hung out with people. He wasn't that guru on the mountain that nobody could relate to. He was involved. He was normal. He was human. And I believe he was impactful in people's lives because he was in their lives. He didn't distance himself. He went straight to them. Don't miss that as a Christian. He was also faithful in his religious expression, certainly. He was a good Jewish person in the sense that he fulfilled those religious requirements. And that's what he went to do. He was involved in the life of God's people. And he attends this festival that went with the Jewish custom. Verse 2. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Hebrew, which has five colonnades. Now, this pool was, was thought to be uh, thought to have some healing powers and so on. We'll see that as the story goes on. There's some kind of sanatorium. It's, it's sort of like a, a convalescent. There's a, a hospital of some kind, if you will. It's people kind of hung out thinking that this is a place they could, they could get some healing. The name for this sanatorium was reflective of a Greek god that they thought was a god of medicine that they believed was gentle and kind and healing. And so that's what this was. It was a pagan temple, basically, that was where folks thought they could get some healing. Within these colonnades, these different porticos, lay a large number of the sick, the blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, I, I don't know about you, but, but if you've ever had anybody in your life who's dealt with some kind of disability... You look here, blind, lame, paralyzed. Somebody who, who's without the use of some particular function of their body. Then you've seen how difficult life can be. Now they, they figure out some ways to get through life, and certainly they have no choice in that. But here's a whole bunch of folks, a large number of the sick. Those who were blind, those who were lame, those who were paralyzed. and In a sense, they had no chance. They, they had no hope. They're isolated. They're, ex, they're, they're excluded. They're, there's no modern medicine. I mean, they don't go to the hospital in Nashville and, and see a specialist. You know, they don't head down to, you know, to, to Memphis for, for special treatment. They don't get any of that stuff. There's, there's no modern medicine. And so there's no hope. And certainly not only was their physical condition an issue, but their lives had no chance of getting better without some help from lots of other people. And they're hanging out at this place. The word Bethesda means house of grace, or it can mean house of outpouring water. And, and, and they're looking in this place where they think they can find some grace and find some healing, some outpouring. It's where all these desperate people would go to find the healing that they so desperately wanted and needed. And for the end of verse 3 and all of verse 4 kind of gives us an explanation. Now you'll see in some of your versions that this is kind of bracketed. 
And it maybe has a little bit of a footnote down at the bottom, and it will say many manuscripts omit this part. And, and most of the, the most reliable manuscripts of the Bible that we have leave this verse out because it's viewed that it was probably added later by somebody who's just trying to help us understand, here's why all these folks were there, this is what they believed. So let's look at it, understanding this is probably not a part of the original Scripture, but does help us a little bit to understand what the legend was around it. Here's what they were doing. They were waiting for the moving of the water. Because an angel would go down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water. Then the first one who got in the water, after the water was stirred up, was recovered from whatever ailment he had. That's the legend. Uh, that's what they thought. That if, okay, every once in a while the water is going to get stirred up, and the first person to jump in gets healed. So you have, you have this scene, picture it, by this pool of water where these folks are all sitting and they're all desperate. They have physical ailments of some kind that are debilitating and life-altering and they have no hope and they sit there and they wait all day long, every day, every week, every month, every year, hoping and waiting that the water will be stirred up and that they'll somehow be able to get themselves in the water to be the first one to, according to this legend, be healed by an angel that has stirred up the water. We learn later, just so you know, that these pools were fed by an underground spring... <laughs> That's what was actually stirring the water. But they believed that there was an angel that came out of somewhere, stirred up the water. I mean, you think these folks who had, they have no hope. That was their only hope. Was that, that something would happen, the water would get stirred, and they somehow would get there and be first into the water. And then verse 5. One man was there who had been sick for 38 years. I'm 38 years old. 38 years. And we learn in a verse or two that he, that he didn't have the use of his legs. And later on, Jesus is going to heal him, and his legs are restored, and he stands up and he walks. So it's, it's, it's evident that he's paralyzed from the waist down. He can't, he can't move his legs. And life for him was particularly difficult. Paralyzed for 38 years, you realize that the average lifespan was less than that back during that time. Average lifespan for a man was 38 or less. 40th most was, was expected. Sounds crazy to us because you think, think okay, you know, I'm two years away from, you know, from being old or something, you know. But that was it. That's all they had. This guy had been sick his whole life. Sitting there, hoping, wishing, waiting. And when Jesus saw him lying there, and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Now, first of all, consider the fact that Jesus was there in the first place. As I described for you, this was a pagan, a, a, not, a, not a God-fearing, not a, not a Jewish God-worshipping kind of place. This was a pagan place where folks went to try to get healed by some miraculous thing that they thought an angel did, and they would all try to jump into the water at the same time to be first. So it was both pagan, ungodly, and full of people who were considered to be completely unclean by the Jews. Now, they weren't viewed to be unclean just because they had a disability, but they could not participate in the Jewish rituals that would make them ceremonially clean. And if you read the Old Testament, you know that was a big deal to be ceremonially clean. They could not wash themselves. They could not keep themselves inside the, the pattern of religious activity. So these folks, not only are they hanging out at a place where God is not worshipped, but they can't truly worship God. God, according to Jews, because they can't get themselves into the routine of Jewish religion. And there's no good Jewish teacher 
in his right mind who would have ever thought about going to that place. He wouldn't even thought about it. In fact, he would have steered so far clear of that to avoid the appearance that I am, I'm, I'm condoning this pagan activity, that, I, that I'm condoning what they're doing. They would have stayed very, very far away from it. And guess where Jesus goes? It seems almost first when he arrives in town. <laughs> That's where he goes. Now, I, I, I'm going to tell you something. The, the longer that I study Jesus the further sometimes away from, from how he operated, I feel. Because I don't know if you're like me, but I would say that so many of us that we consider ourselves just normal Christians, the first thing on our mind isn't exactly going and hanging out with all the people who don't care much for God. It's the first people Jesus went to. Always. 